Welcome. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. It's Palm Sunday, so we're glad to have you for this beginning of Easter week. Uh, before we get going with our worship service, let me go through just a couple of announcements from the back of your bulletin that I want to highlight. The first is that our youth are meeting across the street tonight after the evening service in the Family Life Building. There is a baby shower for Anna Catherine Forster today at 2 p.m. in the home of Anna Ming. And there is going to be an Easter egg hunt this coming Saturday at 3 p.m. at the home of Kevin and Wanda Hudson. And there's instructions there for you if you'll be going to that. And lastly, if you haven't been able to join us, uh, we invite all of you to our Wednesday evening uh, gathering, which starts at 6 p.m. There's dinner for all ages, uh, classes, a time of prayer and fellowship. So if you haven't been able to come to that, we would love for you to come. That is all we're going to announce this morning. We're grateful to have uh, Bebo with us this morning and uh, Kevin this evening. As we get ready to worship God, would you pray that God would help you to worship him, that he would give you his spirit in order to worship him in spirit and truth. Let's do that now as the music plays. Would you please stand for our call to worship this morning? From Psalm 47, verses 1 through 7, God himself calls you to worship him. Clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. 
For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. Would you sing praises with me, and we'll sing hymn number 235, hymn 235. Let's worship together. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Jesus. We worship you this morning. As we look forward to Easter Sunday, we worship today knowing this truth that you have lived and died and risen from the grave to conquer death, to forgive us of our sin, so that you could gain a people to worship with you. God, we are your people and we are here to worship you this morning in spirit and truth. As we sing, as we hear your word preached, would you guide us by your spirit? Would you fill us with your spirit this morning? Would you be praised? Would you lead us in the prayer that you taught your disciples how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would remain standing, the next portion of our service, we recite the Apostles' Creed. And we believe that the Apostles' Creed is a good summary of what we believe God has taught us about himself Um, about the world and ourselves through his word. And so I ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, since it is Palm Sunday, I'd like to read a portion from Zechariah chapter 9 and then lead us in a prayer. Zechariah 9, starting at verse 9, this is God's word. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the bow shall be cut off, and he shall seek peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold. O prisoners of hope, today I declare that I, will, that I will restore to you double. This is the word of God, and I'd like to use this passage as a way to springboard into our time of prayer. So would you join me for a time of prayer? God, it is right to praise you this morning. Almighty God, for the acts of love by which you've redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. On this day, he entered the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph and was proclaimed as King of Kings by those who spread their garments and branches of palm along his way. We pray you'd let those branches be for us signs of his victory and grant us, that we would bear them in his name and hail him as our king and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns in glory with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. King Jesus, this week, Jeremiah speaks for many of us in which we read a cry, a cry is heard in Ramah, Deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. God, we have heard the news in Nashville, and some of us are connected with those families. We think and pray for Chad and Jada as their dear daughter has been taken from them. We pray for the families of the loved ones killed this past week as they are in anguish. And God, even more families this past week have had their homes and their work destroyed by tornadoes and violent weather. And if it were not for your victory over death and your resurrection, our anguish would overcome us. Our weeping would be endless. We cry out and we ask, how long, O Lord, until you return to make all things right? When we will no longer have tragic death, when we won't fear for our children at school, when we won't despair with the news of cancer or neurological diseases, we ask how long until Swords and guns will be beaten into plowshares, and we feast in Zion with you. God, we long for the day our tears will be wiped away, and so we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus. Give us supernatural comfort as we approach Easter, and we celebrate our Passover lamb, Jesus, who suffered and died for our sins and lives today in triumph. Father, I pray that you would give defiant joy amidst anguish in your son Jesus for the Butterfield family, to the church in Macon, to Carol, 
We pray you would give defiant joy and hope in Jesus to Covenant Church in Nashville. Holy Spirit, would you cause King Jesus to reign in our hearts here in First Presbyterian Church this morning. We pray that your love, Lord Jesus, would be what marks our love for one another and that our testimony would lead the lost to faith by the work of your Spirit. God, you are doing great things, many things that we cannot see, things that are even mysterious to us, but you are at work and we worship you and we praise you because you are good, you are holy, you are loving. Would you continue to lead us this morning by your spirit in this time of worship and would you fill our hearts? We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.
God, you are the one who gives us a new heart, a heart that desires to give for your kingdom's purposes. Lord, it does not matter how much we give. It's the desires and the intent of our heart as we give and worship to you. So as you give us these hearts, would you enlarge our hearts as we seek to give our money, our time, our effort to you and to your work. Would you bless these tithes and offerings and multiply them for your glory in this town, in this church, for our missionaries across the world, for all the work um, that you are doing through us. We thank you for this time to give, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with him 297, which is all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's continue singing him 297.
Thanks. The, the magic man on the side. 
I'm not comfortable with these things. But here we go. <laughs> I give a little title to it and I call it Maxims. Maxims. What are maxims? I had to look it up. We all know what it means, but I wanted to look it up to be sort of precise. I want a little uh, explanation of maxim. A maxim is a word or phrase that has a particular kind of meaning or general truth for us. A maxim. We use maxims all the time, don't we? In days gone by, I would ride up and down Highway 25 going to Starkville. In the afternoons when I was driving, I at times would listen to Dave Ramsey. Did you ever listen to Dave Ramsey? I presume he's still on radio. I just don't do that kind of driving anymore. Here's one of Dave Ramsey's maxims. If you're having financial problems, do one of two things. Cut your spending or increase your income. Wow. <laughs> it's a maxim, though, isn't it? And we hear it and we say, that's fundamentally true. It's true. It's a word of truth. My father was a blue-collar man who worked hard at Pathfinder all those days, at Sweats and at Wombles machine shops, back in Kosciuszko, and then in Yazoo City. He worked hard. My father had a maxim or two that he would use. Oh, some of them I don't want to remember. But here was one of his, a man's got to eat. Well, it's fundamentally true, isn't it? And he would say that in the summer, a man has got to remain cool, and in the winter, he's got to remain warm. Oh, okay, they're maxims. They're fundamental truths that give us understanding of life that, that cause us to reflect for just a second and then move on. Yes, but those maxims tend to help us operate better in the way we live. My point for the thoughts of the few minutes would be this. My point would be the passage has some maxims in it. There are three that I want to point out and see if you agree with me at the end. Yes, you will. See if you agree with me at the end. Maxims. Maxim number one, as Matt has prayed, as we have sung, as we have noted, and as we have read, God loves us. That is a fundamental truth that we heard from the earliest days in Sunday school, wasn't it? We've heard that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it is what John is saying in this passage also. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. He sprinkles this kind of thought all through this passage that God loves us. Properly noted, Palm Sunday. Properly noted, we're focusing on the way express, God expresses love. God the Son, same in substance, equal in power and glory as the Father and the Spirit, was willing to give Himself ultimately because He loved me. Well, if Easter means anything, it means that God expressed His love for us, doesn't it? Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, said this, he said that love is the queen of graces. Love is, that's a maxim. Love is the queen of graces. He said, it shines and, and sparkles in God's eyes. Whoa. The nature of love consists in delighting in its object. He says, true to what John is saying in our passage, that God takes delight in His people. Another of the Puritans, Thomas Brooks, said this, God reflects upon the least good that is in or done by weak saints with an eye of love. You poor thing, you. 
You're just kind of pitiful, aren't you? Why haven't we made more progress in sanctification and obedience? <coughs> Lo, these many years. But God looks upon His people. In that room across the way over there, in days gone by, I said a number of times, and I think I probably only said it about 14 times from this pulpit. My person is received in Christ, and my performance is perceived in Christ. God sees your pitiful performance in Christ just as He sees your pitiful self. And at one day in the future, He will say to you and to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because He loved us, and Jesus gave Himself for us. Same quote Thomas Brooks said, The Lord reflects an eye of love upon your thoughts, upon your desires, upon your tears, and upon your groans. Amazing that God looks upon all of the aspects of our Christian living through Christ as He loves us. Another way to look at this love of God for us is this. Hang in with me for a second here. To quote the catechism, and I often like to quote the catechism to you, don't I? And what does the shorter catechism give us for the answer to what are God's decrees? God's, God's decrees are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. God from eternity past had you who are in Christ as the apple of His eye. Isn't that amazing? From eternity past? How does God execute those decrees? God executed those decrees in the works of creation and providence. God is accomplishing the declaration of His decrees in His providence. What are God's works of providence? As God's works of providence are as holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. Well, I don't know about you, but I've been sort of buffaloed this week. Have you? I've been sort of, huh, this week. Have you? This has been a difficult week. But you and I know from the B-I-B-L-E, and you and I know from experience, when we have a little hindsight, to look back over our shoulder, God's providence is dealing with you and me in the midst of even very difficult situations. Whoa, too many funerals lately, huh? Too many hard situations lately, huh? Too many difficulties this week, huh? And I quote my good friend whom you know, Brister Ware, alternately known as Beware. Brister Ware said all those years ago, and I probably said a dozen times from this pulpit, I don't care. It is a maxim that I love to carry with me. The afflictions of this life wean us away from the affections of this life. You get a little age on you, and you start saying... What were my priorities back then? You get age on you and you say, Huh, I'm seeing life very differently now. It's a personal note, but my brother is 82 and he's sort of showing his 82-ness right now. <laughs> Not everybody does, but he's sort of showing his 82-ness. And he has said to me on several occasions recently, I think I'd just rather be in heaven. The afflictions of this life because of God's providence wean us away from the affections of this life. God loves us. We have seen it, we have known it, we have heard it, we have read it, and we believe it. Maxim number one. It's just a little bitty sentence, isn't it? 
But that sentence, the thought of that sentence is sprinkled all through this passage. That God loves me. And his providence is dealing with me day in and day out. You believe me? You ought to. Are you a believer? You ought to be. Do we have confidence amidst difficult situations? Yes, we do. Maxim number two, sprinkled all through the passage, we love God. In the fourth chapter, verse 19, John says we love God because he first loved us. Isn't it amazing when we experience love, we return love? Isn't that sort of what marriage is like? That person has been living with me for 54 and a half years, approaching 55, not too far away. That is amazing. She is very patient. I can be a rather cantankerous person. I put on my smile for you. She wishes I'd put on my smile for her a little bit more often. She is very easy to love because she loves me. It is very easy to love God because He loves us. In a proper definition of love, it goes something like this. Well, yes, it is delighting in the object of love. And there is an element of affection there, isn't it? And there is an element of doing something about it. We don't just in a sterile sort of fashion, I, I love you, I, I wish you well, see you. We are engaged in our relationship with God because He loves us and He is at work in us, giving us love for Him. One of the little things that I pray, one of the little things that I pray is, I pray that God would increase my faith, my trust, and my love for Him. What about you? <coughs> Thomas Watson, again, a Puritan. He gave me this little sentence, and I had to ponder about it. He said, love is an industrious affection. An industrious affection. I don't think I could ever have thought about putting those words together in a sentence. But I'm getting what he's saying. Industrious affection. Love does stuff. Love motivates us to be doing things. Love is doing right about another person. And loving God is doing right about God. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. He who loves God is unable to find contentment in anything without Him. Imagine what it would be. I don't know how people do it. Do you? Imagine what it would be if we were randomly going about our business out there in the, in the world today with all of the chaos and, 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 and difficulties that we're encountering. How do they do it? I don't know. How do we do it? I know. Because God is an enabler, an enabler. And we hate what God hates. We love what God loves. We're grieved at those things that grieve Him because we're becoming more and more Godlike until the point when He's got us all polished up and dusted off and ready. And when that time comes, you won't add a minute, you won't take away a minute. Because that industri industrious love of God has been demonstrated in the way we live before Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It could be said that the Big Ten are the guide rule, yes. And it might be said appropriately that number one could have sufficed. You should have no other guides before me. 
But God generously gave us three more explanations of what that was like as we relate to Him. And He, <coughs> he kindly gave us six to give us some understanding of how we're to be relating to each other. You shall have no other gods before me. Hmm. Idle making has become a maxim, become a phrase. Well, it supposedly comes out of a quote from Martin Luther. But it is saying that we are idle makers in our hearts. We put up other things in the place of God, don't we, at times. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3. We're doing the same thing. When we love anything else and have another God other than God, what do you love? Number two, you shall not make any idols. Mm. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Read the large catechism on that one and have your eyes open. Number four, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor to all thy work with the seventh of the Lord thy God. Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor their manservant, nor their maidservant, nor their ox, nor their ass that is within thy gates. Same Thomas Watson. In a book published of his writings. Said this. He said that you can tell by how much a man loves God by the way he responds to the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're not known for, are we, attentiveness to the fourth commandment, which reflects our not being particularly attentive doesn't it? To the, fourth, to the first commandment. Remember, love is an industrious thing. We do what we say. It's a maxim. Maxim number two is, we love God. Wow. That's exactly the kind of thing John is saying in this passage. And then he gives us, in my little way of thinking about it, in a little way of thinking about it, he gives us another maxim. He says, we love others. That's exactly what he says in verse 16, exactly what he says in 18, exactly what he says in verse 23. When we're consumed by love with, of God, we find ourselves loving others more and more every day. We're heartbroken, aren't we, because of Rolling Fork. We're heartbroken, aren't we, because of so many of the other communities that were affected. We're heartbroken, aren't we, that more people in Louisville don't seem to love the Lord. We're heartbroken, aren't we, because... We're the folk who love other people because they're human beings made in the image of God and we're looking forward to their future in heaven. We love others. Maxim number three. Remember the fundamental kind of definition of love. Delighting in the object of the love. But that delight demands action. One man said, but if it is characteristic of the world to hate, it is just as characteristic of the Christian to love. And indeed, it is because we love the brethren that we know that we are really Christ's. The one proves the other. What we do proves what we are. What we do proves what we are. Verse 10 suggests that there's a very close connection. In fact, they are connected between righteousness and brotherly love. John said, 
we should love one another. John said in verse 18, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Jesus commands this love in a lot of his ministry statements. John 13, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. John 15, This is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And so God gives us the big six. Wherein is the moral law summarily comprehended? Catechism. The moral law is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. Four deal with God. Six deal with others. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land that the Lord your God giveth you. Read the large catechism. Of course, it explains that the commandment is telling us that we are to give a proper response to all those who are in any kind of authority over us. Number, number six, you shall not murder. Wow. This is a completely hard time to be alive, isn't it? When we not only legalize, but try to promote abortion. The pall of death is over us as a generation. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's whatever your neighbor has. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Three maxims. God loves us. Wow. We love God. Wow. We love other people. And we show it. We are the people who show it. Well, the world around us remembers that next Sunday is called Easter, doesn't it? And the world remembers, though it passes by the truthfulness of it, that God showed His love to us. Jesus thought it's not something to be grasped or held on to, Philippians 2, but was willing to give of Himself for you. For you. As one man said, he was willing to experience two deaths. The physical death on the cross without a word of complaint. And that death by which he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He forsook, he forsook his son because he embraced me. That's extraordinary. Do you sense the love of God toward you? Let me count the ways. Do you demonstrate the love that you have toward God? In what ways? Often there might be a seminary student sitting in my office and if you remember, you'd say, well, Bebo, yeah, I know you've got an office at the seminary. I don't work for RTS, but, but I have a little office space. And sometimes a, a, a young seminary student in the midst of conversation will say, incidentally, Bebo, do you think we ought to give in response to, to God's blessing on the basis of net or gross? 
poor thing. My typical response is, though you cannot establish a cause and effect relationship, do you want God to bless you on the basis of net or gross? We are not minimalist Christians. We are maximalist Christians. Is that you? Is that you? Let us count the ways. Let's pray. Almighty God of heaven, God of earth, God of our salvation, God of our sanctification, God of our glorification, we're very grateful that God did not leave us in our sin but accomplished our redemption. We are very grateful that God did not leave us to be sinners, but the Spirit of God lives in us, making us more and more like the Savior incrementally from day to day until the day comes. Hallelujah! Hosanna! Hallelujah! When we shall be with the one who loved us so, our Lord Jesus Christ, for we pray in His name and for His sake. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 295, Crown Him with Many Crowns. 295.